Well, welcome everyone to another weekly Yes And podcast, The Weekly Yap. I'm your host, Travis Thomas, and really excited to be speaking with this gentleman today. And in the world of social media and how you connect with people and uh, different people say, hey, have you met this person and you need to talk to this person? Well, uh, Joe Beckman is a guy that uh, we got connected with on social media. He and I have spoken offline before and uh, totally hit it off. And, and I knew immediately I had to have him on the weekly yap. So uh, Joe is a youth motivator. Uh, he's a Twin Cities native, and he has spoken to over 1,000 schools in 14 years, equaling over 200,000 students and administrators. In addition, Joe was a state champion athlete, former aerobics instructor to middle-aged women, yeah, uh, an actor, which includes playing the role of Mama Bernstein Bear, and he once called 911 as a three-year-old to tell him that he was hungry. Uh, in addition to those highlights, nowadays Joe is married with three kids of his own, uh, yet he still has more energy than a middle school boy. So with that intro, Joe, welcome to the Weekly App. <laughs> I was having a tough time not busting out laughing as you were reading that bio. I've never heard anybody highlight some of those aspects of my life in the way that you did. So thank you. I appreciate that. I feel honored to be a part of the Weekly Yap. And even though I have the energy of a teenage boy, I also have the maturity of a teenage boy, too. So I hope that uh, we keep things uh, on the clean end of things today and just keep things moving forward. But I'm excited to be part of this, and I'm excited and honored just to you know, share some space with you and some time with you um, uh, on the weekly app. Well, Joe, great to have you on. And again, I know you and I, uh, when, we, when we spoke before, I think we could have kept talking for hours with the work that you're doing, um, uh, similar to, to some of the work that I'm doing. And uh, and you've just been doing it for so long and doing such an amazing job doing it. So you call yourself a youth motivator, Joe. So to you, what does that mean? Oh, gosh. Um as a motivator, I believe, you know, uh, in essence, what I'm trying to do is is get kids to see their life as it currently is, um, to see it as it is, not worse than it is, and also to challenge them to take whatever it is that they currently have and improve upon it. Mm. Uh, that's that's in essence what I'm trying to do, and I do that through stories. I do that through music. I do that through interaction, and I do that through personal reflection. Um, and so to call myself a youth speaker seemed limiting to me um, because I feel like I do more than that. I try to create uh, experiences. I, I think most students will walk into an auditorium going to hear a motivational speaker with this preconceived notion that it's going to be boring. It's going to be a lecture. They're going to talk down to us. And my hope is that not only can I kind of break that facade, but within that I can challenge them, like I said, to look deeply into kind of what they're doing currently in their life and the choices they're making, realize that their choices, their words, and their actions have impact on other people and challenge them so that they can, you know, improve upon those choices and those actions so that they can live, you know, the most fulfilled life and have these next four years of high school be the best four years of their life, or some of the best four years, I should say. And, and so you've been doing this for 14 years, Joe, and you're not, uh, you know, you're not an old guy at this point. So you've been doing this, you know, really as, as a young professional up until now. What got you started in the first place? You know, I never, I never intended to be a speaker. 
I, I always had sort of a gift as a kid. I was always told, even as a little child, that you have such a good presence, Joey. People would tell me, when, <laughs> "What the hell does that mean to a you know an eight year old or a nine year old?" Um, but what I did know is that I was a really good athlete. In fact, sports were really what kept our dysfunctional family together. My dad coached, my mom cheered, and the kids. I was the youngest of three. We played. And the path that was forged for me ever since I was little was football in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring and summer. And it's sort of what I did at, I would say, a pretty high level all the way up through elementary and middle school. And it was really the summer between my eighth and ninth grade year when uh, you know, I was starting to get really excited. I was thinking JV. I was thinking varsity. I was thinking, man, if people liked me for my athletic ability in middle school, wait to wait until how much they're really going to like me when I was in high school and, you know, playing at this higher level. And that's when, of course, life sort of took a little twist, a curveball, if you will, when I got uh, injured. And I remember uh, the doctor coming into the the, the waiting room and he looked at me and he said, Joe, cause I, I hit, I got hit on a football play and I, you know, kind of instantly knew something was wrong. And I found myself in the doctor's office and uh, a few days later, and he came in with the news that just basically said I had a stress fracture. And he said, it's not uncommon for athletes to have this, but it is uncommon for someone to have it at such an early age. And, you know, until it heals, I can't play any sports uh, and it's going to be for the foreseeable future. And, as a eighth and ninth grader, the or eighth or ninth grader, the foreseeable future to me was like the next fourteen seconds, and so like, <laughs> right. the longest I could think like ever, this could ever affect me was a couple days, maybe a couple weeks. So I said, you know, basically, when can I get back playing this season? And he said, No, I don't think you understand. Um, you're probably not going to play high school sports at all, and that was this crushing blow to this you know, kid that all I was sort of known for and how I felt relevant in my life was sports. Um, and I went through this year of, of struggle, um, yeah. lots of questioning, you know, who am I, where do I fit in? Um, I put on that happy face, like everything was okay. So no one on the outside would have known, but on the inside, I felt very, very little self-worth. Um, I started gaining a bunch of weight because I wasn't able to work out. And, uh, um, yeah, I, truth be told, I, I started struggling with this this eating disorder. I, I, I felt that if I didn't lose weight, um, people weren't going to like me. And and so I did everything I could to lose weight. And it just, the, the pounds weren't coming off. And so one night I, um, you know, I made him lock myself in the bathroom for the first time. It was a few months after my injury. And I, for the first time, made myself throw up. Mm. And I remember even as that first time doing it, not wanting to do it might, you know, it was burned. It hurt. It, my tears were streaming down my face. And I thought to myself, just do it once and, you know, like never do it again. And then 24 hours later, I found myself in the same spot. And 12 months later, um, I realized that I had a pretty big problem. Um, and that's right around the time when I met Wendy and Wendy was a guest speaker. I remember going into my second hour English class. I was a sophomore in high school at this point, um, about a year after the injury. And uh, our teacher, English teacher, Miss Isaac, said, We have a guest speaker today. Her name is Wendy. And Wendy, you know, when I walked up to the front of the classroom and she explained she was the theater director and she was, you know, recruiting actors for the upcoming play, The Wizard of Oz, specifically male actors. And it was just one of those things that I guess I'd always wanted to do or try in my life. Even as a little kid, like I said, I always got complimented for like my presence and my energy and things that I was like, well, maybe that could associate well with my gifts, this theater thing. And 
you know, against all, like, uh, I knew my friends were going to make fun of me. I had no idea if I was going to fail. I tried out for this play and I got a part and the rest, as they say, is history. I, I did theater and acting all the way through high school. It was my major in college. Like you said, I, my first paid acting role was at an amusement park, like a six flags basically here in Minnesota called Valley fair. Yeah. And they have uh, a dedicated section in de- uh, Valley fair called Bernstein bear country, or they used to at least. And, um, the Bernstein bears were there and uh i for one lucky summer of my life played the sexy and swanky mama bear uh (laughs) and uh and then from there just things kind of took off i started doing more theater and professional acting i landed a national commercial with best buy and things were going in the right direction but deep down i still knew that i wanted to be pursuing a life that had a little bit more meaning and even though it was fun for me to stand up on stage and read somebody else's words um, I was just felt called to, to create my own. And so I started speaking. I joined a nonprofit in Minneapolis that had me go into schools every single day. And I would share, you know, I, I had to get really good at figuring out my story and remembering all the different things that have happened in my life and just sharing that with students. And what I found um, is that is good and dynamic or however good or dynamic, I was good at delivering this message Um in order to truly get kids from A to B, there had to be more than just a talk. It had to be more than just a story. It had to be this experience. And so we started incorporating music and media um, and, you know, person, like I said, personal reflection um, uh, into it. And uh, the, the feedback and the connection to that style um, was, you know, it was pretty, pretty palatable um, when, uh, at the end of the day, and yeah. the feedback is phenomenal. And I, I know you have you've shared a, a few sort of recent yes and uh, examples with me with with you and your family. But to hear you sort of uh, share, uh, you know, sort of your story in, in in detail like that is you've really been sort of living the whole you know yes and mindset uh, you know ever since that that uh, from the injury to to theater, to just how you've really adapted and have responded to everything? You know, it's interesting. It's, there's a common phrase, um, or a common mindset, I should say, when you're starting your own business. And maybe you've heard this a bunch, Travis, maybe your listeners have too. And there's a lot of people that keep telling everybody that they need to say no more because we put so much on our plates and I totally get that. And I abide by it. And I'm guilty of having too much on my plate at all times, but there's a different part of me that says we're teaching the wrong thing with that mindset, especially to young people. I I think they're told by themselves and by so many other people that they're never going to be good enough. Or if that thing isn't perfect, that they shouldn't try out for it. Or there's just so much fear around doing something or saying yes to something because of all the unknowns and the what ifs. Mm -hmm. And I just, I feel like my mindset has always been, Say yes. Say yes to as many things as you can. Try it. See it. If it if you don't like it, you can always drop it, but you'll never know unless you say yes. And I've tried ever since that injury and ever since that that first audition that I had for theater to to realize that that when you say yes to things, you open yourself up to so many other possibilities um, that were never that you would have never thought were there unless you you know, unless you said yes in the first place. Right. So yeah. it's a message that I, I try to live by and share with students as much as possible is to, to say, say yes more. <laughs> yes. Right. And, you know, it, 
often when you're you know when you're saying no to one opportunity, you're not just saying no to one opportunity. You might be saying no to a dozen of opportunities that that each sort of successive door may be opening up as a result of that one yes. One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the whole thing. If I don't try out for the play, I I probably am not doing the work that I'm doing right now. Right. Like I firmly believe like our choices. Uh, you know, the choices, I say that a lot to students. I say your legacy tomorrow will be defined by your choices today. And some of those choices are how you treat other people and how you treat yourself. But it also is like, what are you saying yes to in your day-to-day life? And those choices will impact your future. And I just feel like if we can say yes more, um, we'll see more possibility. And that will open up so many other, like you said, these doors to so many other possibilities and future successes that it's it's an important lesson lesson that I think we all need to be hearing and sort of living out in our own lives. Let's go back, Joe, to uh, back to high school where you're sitting in class when when Wendy comes in for the first time, and um, you've you know w- w- did you have an eating disorder really at this point? Yeah, I mean that's what I was struggling with um, was up to that point, and I had I had gotten to the point. where I was ready to be done with it, but it kept just kind of hanging on and creeping kind of it's rearing its ugly head. Um, and it, I mean, to be truth be told, it continued throughout the remainder of that year. But, um, I, I was struggling with it at that time. Yes. What was, what was the sort of the, the breaking point that you were able to sort of, um, move past that and, and put it behind you? For me, it was the first time I stepped on that stage not in the audition process, but the first time I went to that rehearsal when I went, oh my gosh, like this is what I need to be doing. Like at that point, I had this feeling of like, I am the author of my story. I am not anybody else. And no matter what has happened in my life, like behind me, like I have the ability to rewrite or change direction any way I want to go. And the stuff that I was doing wasn't where I wanted to be in the first place. It's never what I intended to be doing. Nobody wakes up someday and says, you know what, I kind of want to go through this eating disorder. I want to, you know, (laughs) struggle with this or struggle with that. I really want to feel depressed. It's like, no, you get there and it's not a place that you want to be in. But, you know, like I think sometimes we just need that that catalytic moment where Mm -hmm. we can just get out of it. And for me, that moment was the first time I stepped on stage and I just felt this level of authenticity, I guess, that I had never felt before. I just felt like I could be myself. Hmm. And I don't know exactly the correlation between that and, you know, the struggle with the eating disorder, but I do know that is about the time when things, a light bulb changed, you know, or a light bulb went off, I should say, and things changed for me was that first time I stepped on stage. Yeah. And, and what and what's it like? Uh, what's it been uh, like for you, Joe? Um, I imagine speaking all these years and 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 sharing your story. You know, eating disorders is not something that we we commonly associate with with young athletic boys. Um, so, what kind of response sort of have you had to that as, as you've shared that story over the years? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I've had a lot of people, teachers specifically. I haven't had a lot of guys come up to me, look in the eyes and say thank you, but I've had a lot of teachers, not just male teachers, but like female teachers who basically have said, I see this in our, I know that this is a problem. And it, sometimes it takes, um, you know, that paradigm shift of like, oh, like I associate eating disorders with women. So if it was a woman speaker coming in and sharing that, it wouldn't hit people in the same way as it would if it's like you said, 
this young kind of athletic looking mm-hmm. guy who has this story. Um, and I think what it's done is that it just opens people's eyes that everyone's broken in their own way, shape or form. And if like what my hope is, is that they look at a guy like me when I'm up on stage who, I, you know, from the outside, it looks like, you know, I'm put together, maybe right clothes, right look, right this, right that. But at the end of the day, no matter who you are, or where you come from, we all have our stuff. We all have things about our life that we don't like. And my hope is that we realize that the students realize that number one, they're not the only one that's struggling with this. So often I feel, I think we feel this amount of, um, I don't know if, what, if pressure's the right word, I don't think it's the right word, but we feel this loneliness that we're the only ones struggling with that nobody else would understand. And my hope is that when kids hear that story, they went, oh, that, that thing that I you know, only associated with a certain section of people, that's actually open to other people, which means that this thing is open to other people. And the thing that I'm struggling with probably isn't the only thing, I'm not the only one who's struggling with that. So my hope is that by sharing a story of struggle like that, that it really connects um, to a larger message uh, that we all have our stuff and we all have our brokenness. And really at the end of the day, we all have these opportunities to either make someone's brokenness easier to deal with or more difficult. And too often, I think students are making the choice to make life more difficult. And my hope is that they go, you know what? If, you know, I'm not going to be that guy anymore. I'm not going to be that girl anymore because I honestly have no idea what's going on in that person's life that I thought I knew what was going on in their life, if that makes sense. Right, right. And that idea of everyone's broken. And I know um, I've heard you speak on that before. And so all all these years sort of going into schools and working with young people, um, I have to imagine that's probably one of kind of one of the core messages that that uh, that comes out in your in your in your talks. Um how have kids sort of opened up and responded to that? It's interesting because um, I, I never used to do this until a year or two ago, but um, I've started opening up the opportunity for young people to come talk to me afterwards if they're struggling with something in, in their life. And I, I handle this very strategically because I'm not a you know a licensed therapist or professional in any of those ways. Right. Um, but I just, what I am really good at is listening. And, um, and I think a lot of times people just want to be listened to. They want to be heard. They want someone else to know that, you know, that they're struggling or they want me to know that they connect with my message. But sometimes there's a line of five people and sometimes there's a line of like 25 people that want to connect afterwards. And going back to your earlier point or question about how does the message of, of you know, a young athletic looking guy struggling with an eating disorder connect. I get a lot of dudes that come up to me at the end. People that, again, looking at on surface level, you would think that there was nothing going on, but sharing stuff that's happening behind the scenes, it's pretty dark and scary. Um, and I think, you know, again, just the, my message of struggle, um, and, and just throwing out the idea that everyone's broken and you're not the only one. It just gives those young people the permission to, you know, share a little bit of their story. Um, and that's part of what, uh, you know, is part of the, the whole overall process of me giving a talk at a school. Yeah. Mentioning that idea of, uh, that you're a good listener, you know, I, and you had said earlier on, uh, that, you know, you're coming into schools and you're delivering a message 
as a speaker that's not speaking down to the kids uh, and it's engaging sort of with them at their level. Um, where did that come from? Where did that come from uh, uh, for you? And, and uh, uh, how, are you ins- how are you inspired to sort of have that, that mindset or that mentality? You know, I, I, I know that empathy has always been one of my core strengths. Anytime I've taken a strengths finders test, empathy always seems to be at the top. And I sort of wondered the same question of how are we, you know, are these things that are just kind of wired into us? Is this nurture or nature? And what I can go back to is I was the youngest of three kids. And to be completely honest with you, I struggled at the fact that I never felt totally listened to. Hmm. I never felt like my voice was heard in my family. And I, I really struggled with that. And I remember even as a little kid thinking to myself, I never want anyone else to feel as if nobody's listening to them. Or I want, I never want them to feel like I'm feeling right now. And I've, it's just always been uh, a kind of a cornerstone in my mind that that people just, that, that's such an important need to feel heard. And so, um, I don't know, like, I just feel like that, that's something that's always been there for me. And, I, and part of it too is I, I never, I never tell them I have all this great advice because sometimes I don't, but sometimes <laughs> right. you don't need to have the advice. Sometimes right. you just need to listen and just shut up and not say anything and just let them get it off their chest. And, and that's the biggest service that you can provide for them. Um, and so that's, I think it comes from the fact that I didn't like it when I felt like nobody was listening to me and, uh, and that on top of the fact that I'm just wired to be an empathetic person, um, has really helped me when it comes to listening. Well, this is the opportunity that I get to, uh, to blame my three older siblings, Joe, because I was the youngest of four. And, uh, so they clearly were horrible listeners when it came to me as well which is probably what pushed me into theater and comedy and, and yeah. uh, being an empathic listener. So uh, I, I could blame them, but I, I should be thanking them f- for ignoring me for the better part of my childhood. There you go, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's the whole thing. That's the whole yes and. Yeah, especially my big brother, Tiger, if he's listening, and he listens to most of the podcasts. So, uh, but we've already squared this away. I've, I forgave him a long time ago. Um, he finally acknowledges me as a brother, and, uh, and we've got a good relationship as a result. Good. <laughs> Actually, in, in my book, uh, there, there is a section where I talk about how the better part of my childhood was trying to get my brother's attention and just get him to be amused by me. It was a tough, yeah. it was a tough go. It was a tough go. Yeah, I see it now with my kids, too. It's the same thing. And I'm always constantly telling my oldest, I'm just like, they just want to be listened to. They just want you to acknowledge them. Like, just please. It's so important. I find myself like trying to coach that into her as much as I can. Right. Okay. So let's talk about, again, I want you to talk a little bit more about, uh, uh, maybe for lack of a better way of saying it, missed opportunities. Um, you know, uh, I think I, I went through public schools, uh, my whole life. Um, uh, it sounds like you were, a, you were a public school kid. Um, and as you go back into schools now and you sort of see sort of what the missed opportunities that schools, maybe it's because they don't think they have time, um, but, but you're able to, uh, to connect with the kids in a way that, uh, that you know, empathically, uh, you build connection, you build trust. Um, what areas, from your opinion, you know, uh, are, are schools maybe just, I don't want to say dropping the ball, but um, maybe just not allowing kids to, to be able to embrace their full authenticity? Yeah, I mean, it's 
where do you start, I guess? I, I think all schools would agree that what you just said is a good thing for a kid and for them to express their full authenticity and to give them the opportunities to express that. Um, I think where we've gone wrong, and I'm not saying anything that somebody hasn't already said, but it's just this overabundance of testing and getting to see how, you know, basically testing on how smart, smart, smart we are. Um, but we forget in the process that education isn't just to teach kids to be smart. It's also there to teach kids to be good. And all of that, I mean, that's where I struggle is like we teach math and science and literature. And yes, that is important. But who's teaching the class on life? Like yeah. at what point? Because all of that is a practice as well. Positivity is a practice. Courage is a practice. Empathy is a practice. Grit is a practice. Saying yes to situations that are really tough is a practice. But we don't allow young people to have that sort of practice, uh, at least in an organized and an intentional way. Right. We just basically throw them to the wolves and say, figure it out. And as they're figuring it out, we discipline them when they screw up and make mistakes. And um, where I think if I were to say, like, if I was running a school um, or wave the magic wand, I would say if we could give young people more autonomy um, and the ability to choose some of the work that they do, like my kiddos, they go to a Montessori school. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the biggest reasons we said yes to that, because the Montessori philosophy allows more autonomy and right. it encourages it, which encouraged encourages failure. And that's, I mean, again, like you're going to get me started on this whole rant, but I feel, I feel like one of the other truly missed opportunities that we forget, and this is beyond just schools, but parents as well, is that we, we miss the opportunity to allow our kids to fail. Right. Because it's in that failing that they can grow and stretch and be a better person. And when we we stop them from failing or we try to make it all better really, really quick um, and don't allow them to struggle through it, we rob them of that opportunity to you know, kind of rise from the ashes and be that better person. Um, and, you know, and flex and strengthen some of those adversity muscles and courage muscles that they need in order to get past that. And so I think if we can just give, a, you know, if again, wave the magic wand, more autonomy, uh, and along with that comes more opportunity to fail, which along with that comes more opportunity to grow. Um, I think that that would be a, a huge service we could be providing for young people as they're going through, you know, the education system. Right, right. Well, amen to that. I know we could we could <clears throat> talk for a while on that. Um, uh, I want to go back uh, to the uh, to the injury. Here you are. You know, you think you have a, a good idea of who you are and who you want to be in life, and then the injury comes along. You know, and in improvisation, you know, Joe, there's the that principle of interrupt the routine. You know, as soon as as soon as you think you know where a scene is going. Um, you interrupt the routine, you, you throw a monkey wrench in there, which is going to take the scene to a more interesting place. Um, and from a practical life standpoint, right, you had a huge interruption of the routine when that injury came along. And you look at sort of how that changed the trajectory of the rest of your life um, from a really from a yes and from a yes and perspective. Um, <clears throat> How how can we do a better job in sort of uh, helping kids sort of embrace the uh, embrace the twists, the forks in the road, um, the curveballs that are thrown at us, and um, and how do we how do we help them embrace that? 
You know, I think one of the ways is to show them what's on the other side. Uh, and the only thing I can think of right now, and this we had talked a little bit about this before the official interview on the podcast here, but the example that I shared with you is my my daughter, uh, who's in fourth grade, nine years old, just learned some things about Santa Claus literally last night that she did not know um, were true. Um, and it completely interrupted all different sorts of routines for her <laughs> and her mind. And every single part of me wanted to take that away and make it all better and say magical words to make it all, you know, like I said, better or go away. But right. I, I knew that that it was because of this interruption of the routine that that there was like that it was something else was going to happen. And in order for for this to be seen as a positive thing, um, I wanted her to experience of experience what life would be like after she found out this news. And so we twisted um, we twisted things in a way to say, okay, now that you know this. You know, and and now that some of these things, these paradigm, there's been a paradigm shift in your life, and um, you're crushed in many, many ways. What are the hidden opportunities on the other side? And so we laid out three or four different things that she now gets to be a part of that she never would have before she realized this news. Um, and so that, I mean, to me, that's a big part of it. Is that yeah, you interrupt the routine and you say we're going to have to say no to this way of thinking. We're going to have to almost you know, provide a funeral for it, give it a death, but we're also going to be able to move on to this new life. And in this new life that we have, and I'm not trying to get biblical or spiritual or anything like that, but oh, in this okay. new life, there are different <laughs> opportunities that, again, that you would have never seen. Like for her and for us, we said, now you didn't, I said, we didn't know we were making it up on the fly, dude. Like I'm telling you, like we did not plan this out, but it was like, Oh, what you don't, the Santa club. She's, I was like, you get to be part of the Santa club now. And like the Santa club, there's so many different perks, right? Like every part person in the Santa club gets to open a few gifts early before Christmas. <laughs> they get to stay up late. They get to do all these things. And you just see the wheels in her head turning of like, Oh, like I don't, get to have this sort of wonder and awe that I used to have, but I get to sort of grow up in a way. Like I'm almost leveling, leveling up in my life. And along with the death of one thing comes newness in another area. And so we were trying to talk her through all the newness that she was going to be a part of. And at the same time, and I told her again today, I was like, and it's okay to still hurt, right? It's still right, okay. Right. Like remorse, what life was like before you found out this interruption of the routine. Um, it's still going to hurt. It's still going to be a tough Christmas this year, but there's still some things that we can look forward to. So it's not erasing and sort of, you know, scribbling out all the different things that you used to have before the interruption of the routine. It's honoring it, but also saying, you know what, now we get to move forward. And because we're moving forward, we get all these other perks and all these other benefits that weren't there beforehand. Right. And what, and what I love about that also is that you're not, uh, you're not trying to sweep the feelings under the rug. You're not trying to discredit or discount, you know, the, um, the totality of the experience, you know, giving them, you know, giving them permission to feel the hurt, to feel the pain, uh, and move through it instead of, you know, really sort of denying it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, it's just the negative connotation that we give to those feelings pain hurts, right? Like, but at the same time, we need it in order to move forward. The winter in Minnesota, where I live, 
hurts, but we need it in order <laughs> to experience how awesome spring and summer is here. Like there's these, you know, winners in our life that nobody wants to deal with. Right. Uh, and for good reason, nobody wants to deal with that. Some of the hurt and pain and tragedy that comes with life. But if we can see those that hurt and that pain almost as a necessary not evil again, I don't want to use the word evil, but you know, a necessary part of life, um, <clears throat> You know, that's when we can experience the the joy of uh, about everything on the other side. Now, Joe, when you when you leave a school and when you've had the opportunity to share your message with a school and and uh, and and you're done and you move on, what are you know what are the, the the two or three really sort of key ideas? If if you could if you could control the outcome, which we know we can't, but if we could control right. the outcome and say these are the two to three things I really want these students to sort of feel or understand, you know, what would those be? Number one, and there's no order of importance here, but it's just coming off the top of my head. I want kids to know that they have a purpose and that they're on this planet for a reason. That is the number one thing that I want them to, when I leave, I want them to know when they're in their lowest moments or even when they're just going through their daily life, that their life as insignificant as it might feel right now is you're here for a reason and you have the gifts and the strengths to you know, whatever it is that you want to accomplish, like you have the gifts and the strengths and the abilities to pursue that. You might not get it, but you have the opportunity to pursue it. Um, and I want them to, that they, they, that they have a purpose and that they have a meaning and ultimately that their choices and their mindset matters, right? Like that, how they treat other people impacts beyond just the one person that they treated, right? Like in both kind and or positive and negative, um, I always say that to students, the ripple effect of your actions goes further than your eyes can ever see. And when you act with kindness towards one person or on the flip side, when you're acting with disrespect towards another, that positivity or that negativity impacts so many other people along the way. And so my hope is that they think twice before they make a disrespectful comment or before they choose to not step in and stay quiet, that they think, man, I have a voice and I can do something with that voice and that voice matters. So even if that kid that I see getting picked on in the hallway, even if I'm not the one that stops it, maybe I can go up to that kid afterwards and say, hey, don't worry about what you just got called or don't let that per- don't let that person define who you are, but to actually say something or do something because they know that their words and their actions impact other people. Yeah, no, that's 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 fantastic. And and as you are sort of on your own now as the entrepreneur, uh, Joe, what's the uh, what's what's the vision? What's what's the big sort of mission that you're really really sort of that, that's getting you excited out of the bed every morning? Yeah, we have uh, a vision and a mission to impact 10 million students, 10 million young people. Um, and we have various different opportunities and how we're going to do that. Um, speaking live on stage is just one, but I'm really fired up with all the different possibilities of the online space of creating videos and um you know, a movement online, summits and webinars and, you know, being able to partner with amazing people like yourself. Um, the opportunities are so abundant that I feel like that 10 million number of students that we can positively impact 
is a doable and obtainable number. And I believe once we do, I think if we can get 10 million kids to believe in themselves and see that they're on this planet for a reason, I think the possibility and the, you know, the everything that's going to go along with that is going to be incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and for you, uh, Joe, on a, on a day-to-day basis, you know, do you have, is there a routine? Is there a, a, a go-to that you go to for inspiration? Um, how do you, uh, how do you feed your soul? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a routine that I call my morning spiritual routine. Um, I started, I realized that if my kids were my alarm clock, I was a less, positive father in the morning. (laughs) So I started um, disciplining myself to get up before my kids. And unfortunately they get up super early. And so um, I'm generally crawling out of bed around 4.15 or 4.30. And I've, for the last, I don't even know how long now, I start my day with um, the 24 to 36 ounces of water. First thing I do is I drink a bunch of water. Mm. Uh, And that has a huge um, impact on how I feel and yeah. how I'm just, I get through the next few hours, um, is that water. And then what I do is I, I sort of pick, um, between a handful of different morning spiritual practices. Um, I have, sometimes I do meditation. Sometimes I do yoga. Sometimes I do gratitude. Sometimes, um, I've created what I call my wall of spark, which is all the different emails and social media comments that I've gotten um, that are positive or students that have said, thank you so much for coming to my school, or you don't know what an impact that you've made. Those sort of stories, I've you know connected all of those and I put them on what I call my wall of spark. And every once in a while, I'll read those. So I pick one or two of those morning spiritual practices um, and I just commit 30 minutes to them. Um, and that's what I do every single day. And that's, that's the routine that I do. And, um, I do, again, my wife would tell you this firsthand. She would, she would tell you that I've been a better father. I've been a better person and, um, yeah, just a better human because I've, I've started practicing, uh, strengthening those spiritual muscles. Yeah. Oh no, that's fantastic. I and I love if if you guys get an opportunity who are listening uh, to find Joe on on social media. <clears throat> I follow him on Instagram, and uh, he posts some great things in his story about uh, uh, working his kids out in the morning, uh, getting up before his kids, um, berating his kids. <laughs> yep. Use your core. That's, that's what I always right. tell him. Use your core. Stop messing around. No. <laughs> I get them. I, I do think if I have my daughter doing meditation and I have my daughter, she listens to motivational TED talks and speeches and I love it. I love the fact that I'm a big believer with, you know, what we put in our minds yeah. comes out in our actions. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm big on that. I, I believe full, wholeheartedly that positivity isn't a choice. It's a practice and we have to practice this in order to improve on it. <laughs> The hard part, Joe, is that my daughter's 14 now, and so anything that I do is... Uh, is, is yeah, you're screwed, man. Sorry about I, that. I am. It, I'm, it's, <laughs> it's highly scrutinized. I'm doing everything wrong. Uh, I don't know how to use social media in her eyes, and every message I have for her, she's like, ah, I've heard yep. this over and over again. So yeah. it, enjoy them while they're still embracing your message. Well, here's the deal. Just uh, let me have one-on-one. I'll, I can talk to your daughter and say basically everything that you've told her, and for whatever reason, because it's a different voice, it's true. Um, yeah. It'll connect. And then when my daughter's 14, I'll be like, Travis, hit me up, man. I, well, I need you to talk to my daughter because it's going to be the same thing. I, I agree. We'll I, each other. I, th- I, th- I think we're on to something here, Joe. It's like uh, it's like parent message swap. 
you know, it's a co-op. It's a co-op. That's a character swapping. Yeah. And we just, we just, you know, parents talking to each other saying, Hey, this this is the core idea. I want my child to hear. And uh, if you could just deliver it, that would be great. Yeah, if you have any stories around that, just weave it in. If you don't have a story, just use my story because right. it doesn't matter. Just change the names. Uh, don't believe yeah. it. Just change the names. That'd be great. And just <laughs> if you could just weave in this message, that would be super helpful. I think we're on to something, man. I really okay. do. Let's think about it. <laughs> hey, Joe, uh, how how can people find you online? Best way to, to catch you on social media, web? Um, yeah. Go for it. Uh, number one, if anybody wants to contact me personally, uh, it's really easy. It's just joe at joebeckman.com. Uh, I would love to connect if you have any questions um, or want to connect about anything. Please contact me there. If you want to learn more about me uh, and dive deeper on some of those fun facts that you shared in the bio at the beginning, uh, you can just go to my website, which is www.joebeckman.com. And then most social media that I'm on, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, it's Joe underscore Beckman. Um, and then Facebook, because I was way behind the times, uh, I was, I didn't get it in time. I'm Joe Beckman, MN as in Minnesota, Joe Beckman, MN. That's where they can find me there. Awesome. And what's your MySpace page, Joe? Yeah. My, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't been doing as much on MySpace, uh, over the last 17 years. So, uh, I don't know if it still exists. I never actually, that's. I'm old, but I'm not that old. Like MySpace was a little bit before my time. I, I, I wasn't an early adapter to, to MySpace. All right, now you're now you're dating me. You're dating now me. I'm dating you All, right. All right, real quick before we let you go, Joe, your uh, your favorite Mama Bernstein Bear moment. Oh, hands down, when the middle school boys would come into Bernstein Bear Country with the sole intention to mess with the costume characters and you can start, you can spot them a mile away, right? You can see their braces, you can see their backwards hat and you can just go, here they come. And so one day I saw them coming and I didn't do anything. I just kind of sat there in my big bear costume, just staring at them. Like I'm getting the visual in my head and I watched them come in and they started messing with brother bear and sister bear and mama bear just went over there. And uh, I just kind of tapped one kid on the head and I kind of said, no, don't do that anymore with my hands. And then he started uh, kind of giving me a hard time. So I just kind of uh, I, I sort of beckoned him to come closer and I lowered my big mama bear head into his ear and I just gave out the loudest roar, manly roar that you could give. And of course, he thought. You know, anyone thinks that in a woman's bear costume is an actual woman Uh, for him to hear what I said. And then I took his hat and because I'm pretty athletic, uh, I'm coordinated enough. I punted his hat probably 20 feet out of Bernstein bear country. And then I started jumping up and down with my pointer fingers in the air. So everybody else around just sees mama bear jumping up and down uh, like she had just won the lottery. And these seventh grade boys are fleeing from Bernstein Bear Country because I had scared them enough to do that. Uh, the, the moral of the story is don't mess with Mama Bear. Don't mess with Mama. No. You got it. No. And, and if it were nowadays, Joe, that would be all over social media and you would be a viral sensation. Or I would be arrested because... Or a little bit of both. Yeah, exactly. They'd be, you cannot be doing that to children. That You scared them and now they're scarred for life. <laughs> Joe, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, uh, stay warm up there uh, and, and have an awesome Merry Christmas with the family. Thanks, Travis. I appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate what you do in the world. Thank you so much. Thanks, man.